Hi there. This is Sam Musgrave, pastor over college and young adult ministry at Trinity Community Church. This podcast is a collection of the sermons from our gatherings. My prayer is that you will grow in knowledge and love for King Jesus, or maybe come to faith in him for the very first time. Join me now for this sermon. Thank you to all who led us up to this point and what a joy it is to be back with you as we continue our study in Esther. Would you turn in your Bibles with me to Esther chapter 6 and we're going to be looking at verse 14, the very end, to segue into chapter 7 and we're going to be covering all of chapter 7, that's 10 verses. After much prayer and fasting, this wise king, I'm sorry, this wise queen, gets so used to talking about the king up here, it's a change up to be talking about Esther the queen. She's acted. She's finally acted and she's been brave and sacrificial. She's risked her life for God's people. And the king of Persia is puzzled what distress could have provoked her to such self-sacrifice. She invites him and Haman to a banquet feast that very evening. The king is captured by curiosity, Haman by his arrogance, and Esther drops a cliffhanger. She says, this was fun. Let's do this again tomorrow. And after our bellies are filled with food and wine, I'll talk. I'll tell you what is on my mind. So Xerxes is mystified. Haman is smug. Both are impatient. Alcohol has amplified their hearts and numbed their wits. The king can think of nothing except Esther's request. Haman can think of nothing except revenge on Mordecai. Now, really quickly... Brothers and sisters, I want you to note two things, two twin warnings, two grave dangers. Number one, first, a lifestyle of low judgment. I don't know. I don't know what's going on in your lives, okay? I can't read your minds. I can't see your hearts. The Lord can. But if you're living a lifestyle of numbing your judgment with substances. You're only hurting yourself. Of course, it's hurting people around you, but you're not helping yourself. You're certainly not seeking the Lord as he ought to be sought. The second thing that may appeal to more of us, that may apply to more of us, is just simply a small life. This is such an extraordinary danger for Christians to to worship what's on earth. And that could be people, that could be even the things that are most wonderful of all God's gifts, family, marriage, children. If you make your life that and not the king, his kingdom and his righteousness, I'm telling you that it is going to spoil before your very eyes. Think about what Ephesians 5 says, look 
carefully. Look carefully how you walk. I want you to think about the image that's put forward to us by Paul under the inspiration of the Spirit. Look carefully every step you take, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, redeeming the time, buying back every second, because the days are evil. They're not going to do any good with themselves. Folks, if you're riding on autopilot, nothing good will come of it. If you're coasting, it never goes well. It's like life is driving up a mountain. If you ever shift in neutral, the end is destruction. You got to be buying back the time, buying back every second. The days are evil. The days are just going to do evil. On account of this, because of this, do not be foolish. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, what God's desire is, what Christ's desire is. And do not get drunk with wine. It's an interesting change-up, isn't it? No. (laughs) He's right on subject. Do not get drunk with wine. Don't go smoking weed, for this is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit. See, whatever you're doing with whatever substance, all you're trying to do is counterfeit what the Holy Spirit would be doing. Whether it's ridding you of anxiety, whether it's giving you joy, you're you're, you're settling for a cheap counterfeit that ultimately is going to get worse and worse and worse. It's going to leave you less and less and less happy. And it's going to make you more and more anxious. Be filled with a spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God. That is the way to live, folks. And I'm telling you, I'm learning this more and more, brothers and sisters. I'm learning this more and more. Every second of my life, it's right to give thanks to God. Thank you for that hardship. Thank you for that great joy. Thank you for that victory. Thank you for that failure. I'm growing through all of it. You're doing good through all of it. You're working good through all of it. Whatever man intends for evil, you intend for good. Oh God, you died for my soul. Last night, I was praying to the Lord. I was spending time with them, and it just blew my mind. My God became man and gave gave his life for me. My king gave his life for me. It is always right to give thanks. He's governing my whole life. He's orchestrating every second. How can I not be careful how I live? As someone so loved. The big life is Godward. It's grateful. Small souls worship creation and then they self-medicate whether it be with drink or weed or whatever because creatures created things are are soul shrinking gods they make for awful gods we see that here King Xerxes is obsessed with his queen's happiness, and Haman is obsessed with fantasies of Mordecai's distress. Again, the invisible God works his unseen, unmentioned brilliance in Esther. He's ever so quiet and yet so loud 
depriving the king of sleep so that he requests the most boring document be read aloud until he catches his fleeting rest. And rather than fatigue and exhaust him, it jolts him awake. Who would have thunk? Mordecai. I never awarded Mordecai for saving my life. Providentially, the God who cannot be seen intervenes. Haman, waiting like a dog to lick up scraps outside, recommends highest honors for the next man that the king should praise, assuming that it could be none other than him. Unwittingly, proud Haman designed Mordecai's parade. I mean, it's just, couldn't write better story than this. Distraught, he returns home to a house of I told you so's, even though they're the very ones that were inflating his ego. Chapter 6, verse 14, while they were still speaking to him, the king's eunuchs reached Haman's home and hastily brought Haman to the feast which Esther had prepared. Have you ever had to socialize after receiving devastating news? Or just really serious disappointment? Have you ever had to like masquerade a smiling face after you just got some really discouraging news? I've had to do this before. And it makes the socializing, it makes the social event even darker than the, the, the disappointment that it follows. Doesn't it? Haven't you ever been there? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, we've got some nodding heads. Make sure you guys are with me here. You can uh, no longer grieve that sadness that you're suffering because you have to pretend and then that makes it feel worse. Your, your soul feels like it's knotted up and bitter. Now, have no sympathy for Haman. I'm not saying that. Yet, we must feel with him to appreciate the drama in the text. Step into his shoes. Otherwise, we will not appreciate the vengeance of God as he carries it out on Haman. Haman has burned so bright with hatred, he's now gone numb. God has turned the coals that he has heated up, Haman, and poured it on Haman's head. Chapter 7, verse, verse 1. Then the king and Haman came to drink wine with Esther the queen. Can you imagine, really the, the focus is on Haman right now. Picture Haman. Picture Haman, given what we've just uh, realized, at that feast. You can imagine the king and the queen are going back in conversation, back and forth, and we could see Haman lost in his own thoughts. He's just staring ahead. Missing conversation directed his way. He's probably getting some comments from the king. Haman, what's the matter with you? And favored by God, a persecuted Esther's plan is succeeding. While Haman, the powerful persecutor, is boiling in envy. Brothers and sisters... Nothing, nothing, nothing is ever only what it seems. This has seemed to be going one way, and yet God will simply not allow it to end 
and the destruction of his people. Every visible conflict that we witness here on earth, every conflict that we see right now in the news between Israel and Hamas is but a peak of a far larger war raging in the heavenlies. Man, there is a bunch going on. If we could peel back the clouds that veil our sight from the angelic world, we would stagger back breathless. Let's not be stupid and believe what's streaming our feed as if popular media ever, 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 ever reports against Satan's agenda. He's the prince of the power of the air, folks. Don't be dumb. You can't help being young, but you can help being stupid. I actually didn't intend that to be funny, but I'm glad that you laugh because that means you agree with me. Let me put it, let me put it simply. Stop lusting for pure approval on social media. Christian. Its end is death. Literal, actual death. And the death of your credibility. As one who is supposed to be a truth proclaimer. If you buy into the lies of media, why should anyone believe you when you tell them about Christ? Verse 2, And the king said to Esther on the second day, also as they drank their wine at the feast, What is your petition, Queen Esther? He's dying to know. It shall be given to you. And what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom it shall be done. She's mystified him once, risking life and limb for a date. (laughs) She's mystified him twice by requesting a second date. And Xerxes is unable to contain himself. What? Do you want? You've arrested my heart. I'll give you whatever you desire. You could hear the desperation in his voice. Verse 3. Then Queen Esther answered and said, If I have found favor in your eyes, O king, and if it seems good to the king, let my life be given to me as my petition and my people as my request. I mean, can, can you see his jaw drop? What? You've served me two consecutive nights while your life has been in danger and you didn't mention it? Seriously? Uh, If you found favor, if it seems good, sweetheart. And that's the whole scheme. That's the design. That's the strategy. That's what she's been aiming at. That's why she's been patient. That's why she's been self-controlled. Listen, this culture is totally unbridling your passions. It's saying, vomit out whatever you think or feel. Wisdom, it restrains itself. Wisdom, it it gathers up its words. It filters it once, twice, a thousand times before it speaks. It's slow to speak. It's quick to listen. It's certainly slow to become angry. And we see that on full display in Esther, the proverbial woman. She continues, verse 4. For we have been sold, I and my people, 
to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be caused to perish. She, see, now he, he's bought in. He's bought in, and now she's got him hooked. And this is wisdom. Bring it home. She knows exactly that she's got his heart. She's got the hooks in his heart, and she's pulling him in now. She's compiling synonyms. She's now appealing to his emotions. That's actually a good thing in this situation. We're going to be destroyed. We're going to be killed. We're going to be caused to perish. Now, if we had only been sold as slaves, men and women, I would have remained silent. For the adversity would not be worth the annoyance to my king. She's playing jujitsu. I mean, this is, I don't know if you play jujitsu, but she's playing jujitsu, okay? This is amazing. Think about it. She's got him. He's hooked. He says, what, what do you want? Anything. And, and, and he's probably just like sitting there mesmerized when she says, yeah, I'm going to die. You're going to die? I'm, I'm going to be destroyed. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be blotted off the face of the planet. And then she pulls back, you see? So she's, she's asserted the, the, the urgency. And now she pulls him in. How does she pull him in? Listen, if we were just sold as slaves, I wouldn't have bothered you. <laughs> Are you getting like both? The push is effective. The pull is effective. Contrast this to us. Compare this to those who think themselves brave today. Now listen, I remember being your age. It wasn't that long ago. It was yesterday, okay? And I remember I would get so annoyed when people would like pick on my generation. I'm a millennial. We don't have the best reputation, okay? We have the real, you know, there's a bunch of dumb stereotypes about how pathetic we are. Same thing about Gen Z, okay? So listen to me. I'm not picking on Gen Z. What I'm saying is I want you to identify your culture. I want you to identify the worldliness that's in you. Like I need to identify it in me. There's, it's all common to all of us. But I want you to think about what the average Gen Z person would do in Esther's shoes. What are they doing? protesting in the streets, screaming, not for justice, but returning evil for evil. Complaining on screen, crying that good is evil and evil is good. Esther says she and her people could be sold as slaves and that would not be an annoyance worthy of royal attention. How would your average Gen Z person speak? Esther's only concern is the promises of God be viable. We can't die. Hers is the faith of Abraham, who believed that God would fulfill his promises, though he was childless. And then believe God again, when God told him to sacrifice his son like a lamb. If it had been longer, the hall of faith, then Hebrews 11 would have included Esther who is sure of all God told her people to hope and certain of all God said, but had not yet realized Hebrews eleven six, and without faith, it is impossible to please God for he who draws near to God must believe that God is and that God is a rewarder of those who seek him. You want to know the only way that you can live a life that's pleasing to God? Believe that he exists and believe that he loves rewarding those who seek him. 
If you're going to him in prayer and you're thinking that he's reluctant to reward those who seek him, that's not faith. I'm coming before you, O God, my Father, who does not know how to give a gift that is not perfect and good. You love rewarding those who seek you. Esther believes in Yahweh. I am who I am. And he rewards. She's certain of it. Verse 5, then King Xerxes, I'm just translating here because that's who we're talking about, said, he said to Esther the queen. Do you hear the emphatic narration there? King Xerxes said, he said to Esther the queen, it's like he leaned in, he grabbed her chin, hear his intensity, who is this one and where is this one who fills his heart to do thus? I mean, he's gone full junkyard dog. He is borkin, as these guys are saying. Is that the right way to use the, the phrase? Maybe not. Where is he? Let me at him. Let me at him. I'm going to tear him limb from limb. Now she really knows that he has got the king's heart. So, verse 6, Esther said, An adversary and an enemy is this evil Haman. Ah! It's one of those moments. I wish I was there. I wish I was there at this table. Three people at the table. One of them's about to die now. I mean, this is really, really exciting. Right? This, this, this is a dinner party. The curtain is ripped back. The conspirator is exposed. Haman is caught red-handed. He's reaching into the cookie jar. Then, as the text continues, Haman became terrified before the king and queen. Like right there, sudden terror. You would have seen it strike his heart. His face was bleached white. He couldn't be more petrified if he found himself face-to-face with a tiger in a straw hut on fire full of vipers. He is absolutely Spooked. Not spooked. He's, he's in a need for a change of underwear. I mean, this guy is terrified. Haman's dead. He's a dead man walking. He's lost his chill, as I've heard from the young people. This will make little Jewish kids wide-eyed for centuries as they read this book. This is the moment. When little boys and girls, listening to their dad read the scriptures to them at Purim, are, are, are sitting there, yes, <laughs> you know, they're getting hyper. They're, they're, they're eating the, 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 the uh, cotton candy of Israel and their eyes are like bugging out of their skull. Verse 7, and the king arose in his wrath and from drinking wine and went to the garden of his palace. I mean, no speech. He doesn't say anything. He gets up. He's visibly angry. He storms out the room. I don't know about you, but I know exactly what that's like. That bone-chilling, blood-curdling moment. Any of us. I, I had a good father, okay? I know not everyone had a good father, and I'm sorry about that. I had a good father, but I had a good father that I feared as a kid. And you remember when, when he would leave, the room, speechless. He was so angry. Oh, that's the worst. I'd rather him shout at me across the dinner table. You get up. You leave. No talking. What do you do then? You, you run. You run away from home. That's it. That's the time. 
You don't even pack a lunch. Wouldn't you do what Haman does? Verse 7. But Haman stayed to seek for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that calamity had been determined against him by the king. He knew. He knew what this meant. The king's going to kill me. The king is walking out, and he is just like choosing his weapon for execution. That's all he's doing. Right now, he's just, he's just enjoying the moment. Okay, how am I going to kill Haman? His death certificate has been sealed. But wouldn't the compassionate Queen Esther extend mercy? Won't the godly and graceful lady demonstrate kindness? Listen carefully to me. Yes, she will. To God's people. She's going to be kind. She's going to be compassionate to God's people. And that means Haman must die. Family, I'm going to say something rough here. And it's something we need desperately. We cannot love without hatred. To love is to hate. Let me explain. Gusto. It's the word taste in Latin. So you can imagine disgusto is distaste. Hatred is extreme dislike or disgust. It's what love does inverted. And as long as sin exists in this world, which it will not last forever, but as long as it does, hatred will always be the backside of love. Hatred is holy love offended. Hatred is what love does when it's angry. And someday we shall live in a world of love, and we will, we will forget what hate is. But for now, it is impossible to love good and not hate evil in any form. How can love for anything, how can we love anything and not hate the destruction of it? Think, how does one say I like in Spanish? Me gusta, right? This idea of disgust. I don't like. Just as God loves Jacob and hates Esau, Esther loves the children of Jacob and hates Haman who seeks to kill them. Verse 8. Now the king returned from the garden of his palace into the place where they were drinking wine. And Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. So the king said, will he even assault the queen with me in the house? Now remember, you might be sitting there and thinking, oh, he, he's misinterpreting what Haman's doing. Which he is in the moment. But remember, Haman is plotting the extermination of the Jews. He's plotting the extermination of Esther and her people. So understand that the king's assumption is totally reasonable. You and I are living at a time, I'm going to be very frank with you, because I think there's a lot of garbage going on right now. I know there is. 
We're, we are living in the resurgence of anti-Semitism on the level of Nazi Germany. And you guys are drinking it on your phones. You're devouring it on your phones. It is shocking to me how stupid people are that Nazi Germany and the Holocaust is in our historical backyard. And we're hearing the absolute blasphemy and being convinced to believe it's true. I want you to think about this. I mean, we're listening to peers vomit falsehood. And we're just going, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to fit in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't really have an opinion. What is that? Christians are not cowards. If we don't speak the truth, who will? You got to know the truth. I know it's work, guys. I know it's work, but you got to know the truth. And when you're just sitting there on your screens, you're being passive. You're not working. You're just getting lazy. We got we to gotta work to know the truth and we got we to gotta speak the truth. We got to tell people the truth. Not angry, but with conviction. I mean, what, how, it's amazing to me. We didn't know that that was going to happen over in the promised land. And God has us in Esther for such a time as this. God planned this. To equip you for the work of ministry. People don't know. People, people, they're blind. They're ignorant. They're waiting for people to speak the truth. And if we're silent as Christians, they're perishing. They're perishing in falsehood and, 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 and foolishness. And keep reading with me. As the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbonah, one of the eunuchs who were before the king, said, Behold, indeed, the gallows which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on behalf of the king, are standing at Haman's house, 50 cubits high. And the king said, Hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows, which he had set up for Mordecai, and the king's wrath subsided. And you know what every Christian in the room should say right now? Praise God. If you've been fed a false Christianity that says, oh, that's mean. That's disbelief. It dishonors God. I'm not saying that we wish ill on people. But this Haman, this guy was given over to kill God's people and God's purposes. And when he dies, it is faith that says, praise God. It's right to celebrate the righteous vindication of God's justice. How can, I want you to listen, we're, we're almost done. How can believers who bear the name of Christ be more invested in the outcome of a football game or a debate over the impact of Taylor Swift on the career of Travis Kelsey than we are on God's judge, justice? It's, it's astonishing. How can we not rejoice when God's word is honored and justice is executed? I want you, I, I'm going to educate you here a little bit. Daniel 9, 10, 11, 12. Zechariah 11. Matthew 24. Revelation 12. Just to show you, it's all across the Bible. Are explicit. Explicit. That persecution of Israel is a priority of Satan and the Antichrist who will invade Israel as Ezekiel 38 and 39 states. That's the Bible. 
You either believe it and agree with God or you disbelieve it and disagree with God. There is no neutrality here, folks. None. Jesus states the most explicit evidence of the end will not be the wars and the rumors of wars or the famines and the earthquakes, which are all escalating. The number one evidence of the end will be widespread deception. He says, beware that no one deceives you. And you know what? All your peers are disobeying that command from Jesus' own lips. And they're saying, deceive me. Whatever the majority believes, that's what I'm going to believe. It's easiest. Beware, your king says. Do not be deceived. That means if you find yourself deceived, you are the only one to blame. You do not get to point the finger at anyone else. But they told me. Oh, you sound like Eve, but the serpent told me. You sound like Adam, but the woman you gave me. Do not be deceived. Sitting before those glowing screens, more than scripture, is a sure way to disobey your king's command to not be deceived. Visiting the king of heaven in his word is going to thaw the frigid grip of the world on the mind of your heart. It'll warm your affections with beaming reminders that your God became a man and suffered, bled, and died for you because he loves you. And he can be trusted with your whole life. And every word he said can be trusted in its entirety. Esther was far from perfect, but God placed her in such a place as Persia, where the God of Jacob was never named, and for such a time as the reign of Xerxes. Why? To save Israel. Brothers and sisters, the God who does not change has designed and positioned you with equal purpose and care. Today. He wanted you here today. He wanted you in the world now. He saved you when he saved you to ignite a passion in you for the glory of Christ resulting in good works. To be truth bearers in a lost and dying world. Now. He designed you for today. He didn't put Esther here today. He put you here today. And he will receive the reward of his suffering. Father, we ask that you would give us great passion for your beloved son and that this word would sink deep in our hearts for his glory and our great unending joy. We pray it. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining me for this sermon from the Trinity College and Young Adult Ministry. We would love for you to join us in person soon. For up-to-date information, follow our Instagram at trinityc.ya. For information regarding Trinity Community Church, visit trinitycc.com. Until he returns, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you.